This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome to another edition of Greg's List Live, your home for serious journalism only on America's WebRadio.com. Lots, uh, lots of stuff going on in the world today. Lots of uh, uh, events that have happened last uh we recently had the, the September 11th, the 13th anniversary of it. And, David, you know, I mean, the world is just uh, in turmoil right now. The Russians are back to expanding the Soviet Union. ISIS is running around, uh, just uh, taking over Syria, Iraq. They've now beheaded a third person on TV, and they threatened a fourth British citizen. And there seems to be no stopping them. And I, I don't it, – it's hard because – you know, you look at what uh, George W. Bush did when he invaded uh, Iraq, and it was debatable about whether we needed to go in there 100%, but once we were in there and had achieved a semblance of victory, I mean, certainly nation-building is something that uh, is very arguable, but at least leaving in a tacit amount of troops there to protect our gains and to protect what's looking like the Iraqi people, again, from this marauding force of people, is, is the Obama doctrine personified, leading from behind, creating calamities, and then, you know, wiping their hands and saying, oh, it's not our fault, it's Bush's fault. I mean, you've been keeping up with this. They, the David Cameron came out and said, um, you know, this ha- this has to go punch. And at some point, we do have to look at this and say, look, they've killed two Americans and a British, and they have another. I, I- I'm pretty sure that the other British uh, kidnap victim is probably dead. We can probably surmise it. I I, I don't know 100, percent but I- I'm I'm guessing he is. What are, what were your thoughts last week as we uh, uh, or um, or during the past fortnight as we've you know hit another 9/11 anniversary? Well, you know, I, I I hate to do this to you. I want to change the subject quickly because uh, your man is in town today. <laughs> oh, I was about I, and, I, <laughs> uh, and what is my thinking? We're in deep, deep trouble. And what is he doing? He's here in Atlanta to talk to the CDC. This guy has no clue how to be a leader, much less a commander-in-chief or anything else. But you know what he's here for, right? Uh, he's going to talk about uh, the Ebola victory. Yeah, and, and sending troops with three thousand troops. Is it 3,500 3, to West Africa? I think. Yeah, th- uh, three thousand. Maybe okay, he's up to thirty-five hundred. You never know but with that guy. I want to ask you something. Ebola is obviously extremely contagious. Can you think of any way to wipe out our military faster? than to expose anywhere from 1,000 to 3,000 of our troops to Ebola in some shape, form, or fashion. Bring them back knowing or not knowing whether they have the disease or not. And how fast it could spread throughout our military and around the world. Well, and I... I also saw, and I, this was just something I briefly scoured, that the United States Homeland Security had ordered 160,000 hazmat suits for e- Ebola contagion. Did you see that one? Normally you're the one who finds this kind of stuff. No, no I, I haven't seen that. Uh, but it, this, is, this is not well thought through. You know, I have a little bit of military experience, and the last people you want to send in a hot area like West Africa 
is our military. This, this is not what they are trained to do. And they're not going to be trained overnight. And there, there's an attitude in the military, and you almost, you almost have to have it in some ways. Uh, it's going to happen to you, not me, so if I happen to get exposed, I won't catch it, and maybe you will and I won't. And, and I'm not saying that that's, that's 100% or that that's totally the attitude, but there, there is a cavalier, quasi-cavalier attitude in, in the military, and they, they have to have it. They have to be confident of what they're doing. And these aren't, these aren't bullets that are being shot at them. This is a deadly disease that will be shot at them. And I'm sorry, but this is not the place to send our military in my opinion. Well, you know, if you look at it, it's almost like a potential biological warfare. Yeah. I mean, you're, it, 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 they've always said that um, back when uh, the Soviets were fighting the Afghanis, the Soviets would rather wound the Afghans, especially the children, when they'd set out the landmines, because it took so many resources to take care right. of the injured people. So Good point. Good point. if you think about the... Uh, uh, the two Americans that were flown here to Emory University, they basically had probably four or five hundred people working on just those two patients. And I, and again, I am I'm very happy we did that. I'm very happy we had the resources to be able to save those two Americans who were there risking their lives. But it, at the same time, shouldn't we learn a little bit of a lesson from from, from those from those two individuals? I don't know. You know, I, I'm I'm horrendously opposed to what they're doing. Um, and I, but you, you know, I tell you, it goes along, it goes along with everything else this clown is doing in the White House. Uh, he is no leader. He is no, no commander in chief. He has no plan about ISIS. Um, he strangles anybody that talks about it. Um, we're finding out more and more about Benghazi and uh, the information from the State Department today was just absolutely incredible. Um, you know, we're in, as they say, we're in a pickle and we're in the pickle jar. And I, I wish I had the attitude that Obama did. When a crisis, a good crisis starts up, let's go play golf, Greg. I mean, you know, why not? I think that that's... Uh and we can do a fundraiser too, David. You want to do that? You want to do a fundraiser in Hollywood, and then maybe hit hit nine or eighteen holes. holes. You know that that was uh, my, our friend Todd Ream today posted. Obama's got a big decision to make whether to play East Lake Golf Club or the other one downtown. So I mean, after his um, his uh, yeah, and after his photo off, yeah. The and on the way here, David, I was thinking to myself, I was able to get out of my area. I live about a mile and a half from Emory, so I was kind of worried that uh, the whole neighborhood would be shut down. I was able to get out of here. Uh, at a decent hour, and I got here a decent time early, or a little bit early for me. But I, I was thinking, do do we not have helicopters? <laughs> I mean, you know, Governor Deal has two events going on tonight. Two, he's got a young professional fundraiser, and then one with uh, the minority business community. And it seems like Obama's visit. Now, I, I know they have to schedule these sometime in advance, but it's interesting that it dovetails with these two events that are hitting two different um, audiences. And, um, and meanwhile, Jason Carter and Michelle Nunn are certainly nowhere to be found in, in the Emory area. You reckon they don't want to be? With oh, Obama's, Obama? in, Obama's in Emory, and I reckon they're out at Barry College in Rome. <laughs> 
they're probably doing a yeah, yeah, or Valdosta State. They're down in the in the south. Although I think Michelle Nunn needs a passport to get south of Macon, <laughs> according to her campaign memo. Anyway, so I don't know. Jason Carter certainly has a little bit more of a. Uh, pedigree to be able to travel the entire state, although he, he did grow up in Chicago and went to school in North Carolina, so I don't know. But apparently 55% of Georgians, or no, 45% of Georgians now are from out of state, so it may or may not be an effective campaign tactic to do that. Y'all ain't from around here stuff, so I mean, certainly not in the Atlanta area. I think in the rural part, of course, you know, you're, you're in Macon or South. Probably, if you're not from Georgia, or at least some have set up some lineage there, then um, it's going to be difficult for you to win. But well, uh, we have uh, I have uh, we have David Johnson uh, calling in at two fifteen, and then our friend Scott uh, Godwin joining us at two thirty. Scott wrote uh, a, a pretty optimistic piece um, on his uh, on his website recently about some of the things that we should actually be happy about and. Um, I'm I'm an optimist. I'm a glass half full. I like it, you know, twelve ounces of beer, but six ounces of beer is is, is just as tasty. Better than none. Exactly. And uh, so we got we got a pretty good show today. The Senate race is heating up. Um, but you know, back to the ISIS crisis. You know what what shocked me last week, David, is when Obama had his press conference and he said ISIS is not Islamic. Yeah. And so I'm thinking to myself. That depends what the meaning of the word is, is, yeah. correct? So we go back to the Bill where, Clinton where days. I hear that one time? <laughs> In some Oval yeah. Office? Or yeah. I, I mean, didn't have sex I with that didn't, one? Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's almost like, okay, they, they absolutely refuse to acknowledge the, the danger of the enemy. And then they they refuse to. Apparently now they're sending in sixteen hundred military advisors to Iraq. Now remember, didn't we send in sixteen hundred military advisors to Vietnam back in the? <laughs> I think it was that exact same number. I, I, I they should have done fifteen hundred or something. So we certainly do not want to repeat something like that. And I think unfortunately with Obama's lack of leadership in the military, and basically he doesn't like the military. I mean, he, 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 he never served. No. He, he, he's denigrated the military. His buddies that, that he grew up with hate the military. They hate the United States. They hate our role as being a worldwide leader. I don't think anybody in the U.S. wants to be the world police, but I think we are seeing how dangerous this situation can be if we are not a, a, a leader. Oh, I, I, you hit it right on the head. I applaud you for that's that's a good observation, and it's uh, it's a shame when when we need a leader, we don't have it, and and the world knows it. It's it's no secret that Obama's a doofus and uh, is not worth. Uh, did you happen to see Fox News, uh, Fox and Friends yesterday morning, or uh, no? Was it Fox and Friends? Did yeah, it have a bunch so. of blonde ladies on it? Yeah. <laughs> okay, anyway, uh, they had a sheriff from Midland County, Texas. Now, I don't think, I, I, I could be wrong, but I don't think, I'm very familiar with the Midland, Odessa area, and I think Midland County, though, is down in South, South Texas. And um, I can't quote him uh, verbatim, but the gist of his story was, if any of those ugly bastards cross into my territory, <laughs> I've given my deputies orders to shoot first. And 
and then he went on to say that and the girl that was interviewing him said well do you have any advice for the president he said well I would I would make those people in, in the ice of people pissing their pants anytime they heard a propeller or a jet engine fly over that they should that Obama should bomb bomb them until they give in now this is a Texas boy that's a sheriff yep weren't no boy actually <laughs> sounds yeah, like a grown man to me he, he might have been around a day or two <laughs> but um he, he isn't going to mess with them and he said they are there they are in Texas ISA is in Texas and we keep hearing about this closed border and what a great job Obama's. Yeah, it's never been safer. Yeah. And he said, I can go to spots right now and we can walk across the river and be in Mexico. We, we've been and, invaded by 60,000 Central American kids and their parents. So I and, and that's a slightly different issue, but that's the the immigration sign. But I'm sorry if 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 60 million ki- or 60,000 children and their mom moms plural can come here. And just, you know, get to the border, and then they basically just turn themselves into uh, border security patrol. Uh, I'm pretty sure the ISIS folks, a little bit more um, savvy, a little bit more organized, perhaps they, uh, you know, have have people along the border ready to pick them up with with water and and, and cars and stuff like that. Anyway, I agree with your your Texas Ranger there. We're going to go ahead and take our first break. We'll be back with political analyst David Johnson to talk about the Senate race and some other pertinent issues. Thanks for listening to Greg's List. Do your children know where their food comes from? At ConnectingFarmToFork.com, there's all kinds of ways to help your child understand how 300 million of us here in America stay nourished, clothed, and healthy. Activities, food facts, and farm visits help young people learn about America's hardworking farmers and have lots of fun doing it. Visit ConnectingFarmToFork.com today for a learning experience that will really grow on you. ConnectingFarmToFork.com, brought to you by the people who care at Feedstuff's Food Link. This is Dr. Susan Blank, Medical Director for the Atlanta Healing Center. Our team is able to offer a multitude of treatment options, such as quantitative EEG, also known as brain mapping, hormonal and nutritional assessments, neuropsychological testing, and cognitive therapy, along with traditional 12-step facilitation. And we can even offer you, if appropriate, a gentle medically managed detox. Please contact us at 770-696-9862. Certification. Do you know why becoming a certified healthcare consumerism specialist is more important than ever in 2014? Adding this specialized designation to your credentials tells employers or your clients that you understand how much our industry has changed and how to navigate that change successfully. IHC University's certification program offers coursework both online and live at their biannual forum conference series, and testing is completed online. Reaffirm your position as a leader in the health and benefit management industry. Download our certification overview and learn more at www.theihcc.com. That's www.theihcc.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's List, the home of serious journalism only on AmericasWebRadio.com. With us back again is our friend David Johnson from uh, Strategic Vision, Political Affairs and Consulting. David, how are you? 
I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. I was. Uh, we were just commenting before the the show. Obama's uh, coming to the Emory Area CDC, and that's about a mile and a half from my house. So I was able to sneak out before the uh, the massive traffic hit, and now I'm kind of following. You were sneaking out, and Michelle Nunn and Jason Carter were as well. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say Obama's at Emory. Jason and Michelle are probably at Barry College, or, or maybe as far south as Val down down being a blazer at Valdosta State. So they are. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> They are clearly in opposite corners. In fact, I was going to go to uh, Emory after the show and tell everybody I was Jason Carter and see if they were going to be surprised to see me, but I, I don't know. So I thought that would be a funny little uh, little thing. But uh, at any rate, good to have you back, sir. I um, uh, We've just had a lot of polling going on. And, uh, you know, what do you as, – as a political analyst, what do you look at? Do you look at the, the RCP average? Is that the best way to take the temperature of – That's what? one of the best ways to look at it. But the thing to look at it, too, is – where are we in this race right now, considering that this should be a strong Republican year? Obama is radioactive in this state, and you still have a Republican tilt in this state. And if uh, the Republicans are incumbents and they're not pulling ahead of their challengers, that's a sign of trouble. Well, you know, Obama's had that um, that effect pretty much ever since 2010. Once some of the uh, policies that he passed started going through in 2010, they didn't. Nobody wanted to be seen with him, and the folks that did let him campaign ended up just getting crushed in that Republican wave election. So, is that the lesson that these uh, folks have learned now? Look, the president personally is unpopular. Michelle Obama, I guess, is popular um, personally, but um, I, I've been seeing a lot of bad press about her lately with all these uh you know these anti-food uh, campaigns and some of these public schools are saying look we can't serve tofu and have these kids eat it so uh, now she's unpopular too especially with this uh school lunch program yeah if you're a savvy democrat and you believe you have a chance of winning the person you want at your side is bill clinton bill clinton's very popular uh among democrats but especially among independents that you need to swing over to your banner and what we're seeing is Bill Clinton is very smart. He's cleverly picking the races that he's going to campaign in, races where he thinks Democrats have a chance of victory. So, of course, he'll be credited with the victory, <laughs> and also as a way to build up IOUs for Hillary in 2016. I was about to say, is he kind of just uh, mowing the lawn a little bit and saying, hey, remember? Let, now, now we want Hillary to be able to come back and get a ten thousand dollar head fundraiser on with you as the, the the headliner. Oh, definitely, and he's also showing too because the one thing the Clintons are worried about is that someone's going to come out of nowhere, say an Elizabeth Warren or a Martin O'Malley, mm-hmm. challenge Hillary and become the hot ticket. What they want to show right now is the only person who has any electoral magic is that Clinton name. Mm-hmm. That's why we're seeing Bill Clinton going down here in Georgia with Michelle Nunn and some other states where Democrats still believe they have a chance for victory and campaign with those candidates. He wants the credit for victory. Uh, candidates who look like long shots or who are in trouble, we don't see him campaigning for, including his own gubernatorial candidate in Arkansas. So we're basically – I noticed uh, you you published an article in a Facebook post over the weekend pointing out that uh, Michelle Nunn was, was literally broadcasting the fact that Bill Clinton was in town for her. And I think 
They've got a few other, you know, she's been raising funds out in Hollywood. So basically the Democrats are still thinking that Georgia is definitely in play. They believe it is right now. It's uh, far more in play than Kentucky is right now. Really? Okay. Uh, Kansas is the state that's really in play uh, for Democrats. Uh, Pat Roberts, unless he turns it around, he looks like he's going down to defeat. But Democrats are outraising Republicans, and that's what's extraordinary in some of these races. They're raising far more money, and that's how they're staying competitive at this point. Well, now, now tell us about Kansas, because I think a lot of us saw that, and that was like a 67 to 33 Romney state. So how the heck can we be losing a Senate race just two years after a just a two-to-one uh, Romney-Obama victory? I know that the top of the ticket doesn't always carry each other. We saw that in Missouri and Indiana with Aiken and uh, Richard Murdoch. But, I mean, what, what has Pat Roberts done that, that could be condemning him to such a, a bad, um, a bad tur- uh, look? Well, I mean, not only is a it a outlook, strong uh, rep- uh, Republican state for Romney, it hasn't voted for a Democrat U.S. Senate since 1938. So, I mean... So this is record-breaking stuff here. (laughs) Uh, But Pat Roberts, what he's done is everything he can to throw away this race. Uh, Home in Kansas doesn't have a residency there. He claims he's running a basement in Kansas. Yet (laughs) after he won the primary by a narrower margin than was expected against the Tea Party candidate, he announced he was going back home. Back home, meaning D.C. He basically shut down his campaign, thinking he had nothing to worry about, hasn't been campaigning, hasn't been running ads, hasn't been in the state since the primary back in August. All of a sudden, the Democrat, uh, with some pressure from uh, Harry Reid and crew, announced that he was withdrawn because he didn't stand a chance. And you have this self-funding independent right now who's been running ads who's been actually out raising pat roberts in contributions now ahead anywhere between one to six points well i guess uh could we say he has eric Cantoritis? oh he definitely does <laughs> at least eric Cantor was running ads <laughs> i mean this and at least pretended at least that his district was still his home I mean, at least with Pat Roberts, you have to give him honesty. He was going back home to D.C. Yeah, I mean, I mean, really, he's renting out somebody's basement. We're supposed to believe a U.S. So, so no wonder his campaigns. Are I've been. Well, and he's only been back to Kansas seven times this entire year. Seven, and I mean, a couple of those were probably for his kids' birthdays. <laughs> well, exactly, and I mean for the primary. But I mean, think about it: a U.S. senator, a sitting. You represent the entire state, and you can only show up in the state seven times throughout the year. That alone speaks why he's in trouble. Well, and, and the fact that apparently he's just, um, if he's not running any ads, not raising any money, calling D.C. his home. Kansas folks are, I mean, they're, they're Midwestern folks. They're common sense. They want to see you. You know, in the district, I mean, it's it, it defies the purpose of, you know, the citizen legislature. We know we don't have that. That was the founder's dream back uh, in the 1770s. But we clearly don't have that. We have professional politicians. But you at least pay lip service to your constituents. <laughs> or at least you keep a residency in your home state. But, I mean, let's not forget, he's not the only senator lately who's been Mary Landrieu, the Democrat in Louisiana has been challenged basically claiming her parents' house as her uh, legal residence so she can represent. 
Louisiana. Yeah. And, and speaking of that one, how's that one looking? That's one that we, I mean, Kansas, if we lose that one, that one would um, really hurt our 51 uh, majority, wouldn't it? If we lose Kansas, we'll need to pick up uh, three of the states, That at least three more states. I mean, I think right now we win South Dakota, Montana, West Virginia, and I think Arkansas is gone as well for the Democrats. You think, you think, Mark, you, think Mark, you think Mark Pryor, you, you, that Tom Cotton's been able to st- stave him off? If you look at the number of polls and Cotton steadily holding the lead, and you have a gubernatorial race too, where the Democrats in serious trouble, I think this all spells the end for uh, Pryor. Okay. So Louisiana is a weird state yeah. uh, because you have to get fifty plus one in the uh, election, or then we go into a runoff. If we go into a runoff, if Mary Landrieu doesn't get that, I think the Republicans take the seat. Yeah, okay, so if she if she goes to a runoff, you think Republicans will win? Yes, I do. Okay. And- uh, the base will be more motivated. Additionally, every poll we saw, if it's a one-on-one race, she does not pull over 50. All right, well, that's that's good. So there is an independent or a libertarian there that's... Um... Oh, it's a multi-field. you got a couple of Republicans running the ah, race. Ah, okay. So they almost have because like in, just an uh, open in, uh, they... Louisiana, remember, anybody can run. It's a free for all, <laughs> and then just the top two candidates. If nobody gets fifty plus one, go into the runoff. So it's very so it, it, with ours. Um, it's you know we we do the party system here. Ours is starting to look like it could be a runoff. I, I I'm still predicting David Perdue will get fifty. I think plus David one, Perdue but, will win, but it may be a runoff. I don't see a runoff. Uh, you don't see a runoff. Okay, outright. Okay, cool. Uh, that that's the the sentiment that I'm getting. We're you know making phone calls and and talking to folks, and um, that, that sentiment seems to be pretty strong with with Purdue. Uh, Michelle Nunn is just a very lackluster candidate. Is, but one thing I will give her, and the key <clears throat> here in Georgia, in a lot of these races right now, are suburban females. And if you look at Michelle Nunn's advertising, it's targeted directly to them to try to energize them to make David Perdue radioactive. If you look at Jason yep. Carter's ads talking about education, he's targeting the same demographic. In all of these Senate races, all of these gubernatorial races across the country we're talking about, suburban females hold the key. Right. Republicans aren't going to win a majority of them, but they have to narrow that gender gap. It's about ten points now. From what from Georgia, it was looking like uh, males. Purdue was up fifteen to eighteen, and then none was up ten to twelve on uh, with the women. And since women have slightly higher turnout here in Georgia, it's um, it's a very fascinating dynamic we have going on. What do you, speaking of the ads? What do you think about? So you think nuns, from what I gather, are fairly effective. What about uh, the Purdue's ads that have been on behalf of him from like the uh, RNC. The oh, I RS. think they're very good. I mean, Michelle Nunn needs to keep this race local, demonize David Perdue as anti-female. She's very effective with that. David Perdue and the ads for him have to make this a national referendum on Barack Obama. If that's what this race becomes, he wins automatically. That's what Republicans across the country, though, need to do. They don't make need to make it a state-only campaign mm-hmm. Or about personalities, they need to make this about Barack Obama in a referendum. Yeah, that's kind of the difference between the governor's race and the Senate race, because the Senate race truly is uh, a national um, 
race in general because, uh, you know, being able to remove the gavel from Harry, the Crypt Keeper, Reed's hands is something that's on every Republican's radar. And, and you've got to look at the two, the governor and the Senate race. The Libertarians are polling excessively high. Now, this is typical. A lot of times Libertarians will uh, po- poll above 5 6% um, in these prelim polls, and then they'll, uh, then they'll die off. What do you uh, – final question here. What do you think the Libertarians will – will gain on November 4th? I say between 3 to 5%. Okay, so you, you see them putting off, pulling off a decent chunk, and that could put us into I the runoff. I do. That's because a lot of these so-called Liberty Republicans mm-hmm. are so disgusted that they're going to be casting ballots for the Libertarians rather than making an effective uh, ballot and voting Republican. So the classic, to vote out the Democrats. classic cutting one's nose off to spite their face, right? <laughs> they think they're sending a message, but they could wake up the day after uh, Election Day done with Democrats' victory if enough of these liber- Liberty Republicans do that. Well, well, David, I appreciate your outlook as always. Thank you for uh, coming on the show once again and look forward to the next 49 days here in Georgia. Oh, thank you. I right, appreciate it. And we'll be back with uh, with our next guest in a couple minutes. Thank you for listening to Greg's List. Listen to America's Voice for Energy. I'm Marita Noon, and each week I'll guide our discussion on a fresh, news-based energy topic only on America's Web Radio. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's This Live, the home of series journalism only on AmericasWebRadio.com. Wanted to welcome our friend Scott Godwin to the show. Uh, Scott, uh, it's been, uh, been a little while. Last time I saw you, we were at a, a friend's wedding, and uh, you know we were listening to Yacht Rock, or I guess they were called Schooner Yachts. Or, but anyway, it was pretty nice to have the band Yacht Rock playing in front of 80 people. I've never had such yeah, a personal... Yeah, that was a good time. That was a good time. We got our exercise in. Yeah, cool. yeah, we did. We did the 12-ounce curls and the, 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 the dancing. So it was a, an evening of drinking and dancing. I remember um, after the, um, the event, I went outside, and you know I'm a big fan of rideshare technology, Uber and Lyft. And so after the event, we, we took Uber to get there. It was 12, 15 to $20, whatever it was. So leaving there, flipped on the the little app, and it was Uber was doing their surge pricing. So it was three times the normal rate. Huh. So it would have been like sixty bucks to get home. So we were in, we were, David we were in Midtown at the Fox. I just flagged a cab, so we hopped in a cab and took it home. And the cab was like twenty six dollars. So that is exactly how the free market should work. 
Now, granted, I was in an area that had a lot of cabs, but it, you know, if you just compare the two prices, Uber was cheaper with the normal prices. But when they were doing their high demand prices, the cab came in about half the cost. So, you know, to me, that that's a the price thing is one thing when we're doing the, the rideshare comparisons, but when you're looking at all the, the rules and regulations that the cabs have enjoyed for so many years, but now they say, oh, everybody else needs to play by them, and, and that's created the third world experience that, that is taking a cab in Atlanta pretty much yeah. these days. So to me, Scott, shouldn't they be asking to maybe un, you know unroll some of these, uh, roll back some of these regulations? Yeah, I mean, I think it's happened in pretty much every industry at some point that something new has come along to uh, disrupt the uh, current system the way it is. And, uh, you know, it does displace people that are, you know, caught up in the status quo. And you do feel a little compassion for them. Or some some cases you may not feel compassion for them. But uh, in any case, you got to move on to the next technology and, and try to do the best you can to... You know, help the people in the in the past find a different yep. uh, line of work, right? Or, or adapt and have a better cab service. Yeah, well, that's the thing, isn't it? Isn't it adapting and evolving? Isn't that how the the economy really grows? Though, I mean, well, you, yeah. you know, you're we you, we do uh, fiscal fitness as well as physical fitness, and right. so you've got to learn to be able to do both. For sure, I mean, it's. Uh, Life is always in conflict and in change. And in any good economy, uh, we're going to have we're going to have what they call creative destruction, and it may be an over, <laughs> overused term, but uh, change is constant. So I think uh, it's always good to uh, keep your eye out on the horizon to see what's next. And I've noticed that some of the cab drivers are actually using Uber and and also driving and not using Uber. So mm-hmm. I, th- I think if I were a cab driver, that's what I would try to do, just try to utilize the technology that's out there mm-hmm. to make my service yeah. even better. Yeah, one of the things that, um, that I looked at was uh, it was a very uplifting uh, thing, and it was actually written by you. And um, it was uh, the blog you wrote about, hey, let's not be so negative about things. These are, so, you know, some of the things that have improved a lot. These are some of the good things to look at. And it's it was easy a very to say it hard to do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, but you <laughs> I wrote try it down. To be positive. Yeah. I try yeah. To be what positive. were some of those that you had mentioned? Where's that? Uh, well, we, yeah, we talked a little bit about how, uh, you know, it seems like people are. This is on your blog. What's your blog? Right, it's uh, scottgodwin.net. And uh, I wrote about how we're kind of getting. We're kind of starting to question, I feel like, the American dream. You know, if, if the American dream, both for the government and for us as, as taxpayers, is huge amounts of debt, is that really the kind of American dream we want? You know, mm-hmm. and I feel like there's, there's a movement going on with uh, independents, conservatives, and maybe even some Democrats say, you know, that's not the kind of life we want to live, a, a, a life of huge amounts of credit card debt and huge amount houses we can't afford, deficits we can't afford. And I feel like there's a strong undercurrent of uh, people just getting back to basics, you know, healthy living, simple mm-hmm. living, and uh, using technology, like uh, we were talking about Uber earlier, but just to have a good quality of life with uh, with the technologies that are out there. 
And uh, so that, I remember that was one of the things that I wrote about. Yeah, I, I basically, you can go to scottgodwin.net. That's uh, S-C-O-T-T, Godwin, G-O-D-W-I-N, dot net. Hope you don't need me to spell net for you. It's N-E-T, just in case you're not hooked on phonics like the rest of us. But, uh, you know, one of your examples here that I thought was uh, really uh, poignant was um, he, he wrote a piece, and it's called There's Plenty of Good News Out There. And... As somebody that's a member of the Republican Party and sometimes gets tired of being excoriated as the party of no, I look to to the positive things when I go out and speak, especially to some of the younger. Uh, you know, I've been out to several college Republican meetings as of late, and I chair a young Republican group. And when we're talking to the younger folks. You have to have a different message. You have to be optimistic because if you start telling them what the, how much they owe already, they're they're either going to tune you out or, or you don't want to send them home depressed. So you yeah. you, you want to the the old, the over sixty five generation, they know that um, how much they owe, but they're like you know what we're we're retired now we're our lives are set. So to me, it's almost that thirty five to sixty year old bracket where it's kind of like okay we're not set. But if we don't make some changes now, if we don't either agree, and, and I hate to say this as a Republican, but this is why I'll never sign any tax pledges, uh, if we don't agree to, to shut down some of the services or pay more taxes, then this economy will crumble. So we've got to figure out what the balance is. And uh, in your one of your... Um, uh, lines on here was uh, an example was look man we've got all these historic downtowns that are being restored and and what that does is it fosters a a greater sense of community and it helps to drive small business growth when i and i look around here covington norcross uh, downtown marietta uh decatur you've been to decatur lately yeah, where yeah. it's greater but oh, uh, yeah. no it's amazing yeah, i mean nice. it's uh, Athens, um, you know, Athens always is going to have a vibrant downtown just because the greatest college in the country is there. Easy now. Yeah. <laughs> War Eagle. <laughs> now, I was up uh, Saturday, uh, an Army buddy of mine took me up to the uh, Cherokee Gun Club. We got to play with some of our toys. Oh, yeah, it was a lot. Of fun. Uh, I think I saw you posting selfies on there. You you looked like you were gonna <laughs> go rob a bank or something. I like to I like to promote the uh, yeah. Second Amendment. Second Amendment yeah. on, uh, on Facebook. Just uh, yeah, yeah. Just make sure well, you were you were. That looked like you love assault rifles. It was the gist uh, I got. The the reason I brought it up is uh, on the way up we drove through Duluth and we drove through Swanee. And uh, we checked out, you know, just some of the downtown areas, mm-hmm. and it's amazing what's happened up there. Yep. And I think that really points to what I was getting at in the uh, in the article that I wrote about the good news. Is I feel like when people get together and sort of decentralize away from Washington, there's a lot of good things going on in this country. Yeah. I mean, uh, if you think about it, most of the good things that happen happen on the local level. Uh, mm-hmm. Not to say that. The military and the courts and, and some executive power is not good, but I feel like the the beauty of this country and the awesomeness of it is in the is in the citizens and in the communities, people doing things to help each other out, uh-huh. start businesses, the craftsmanship, and uh, just all the hard work that uh, people are doing all across the country. And I think the media doesn't really touch on that enough, and I think. Uh, 
uh, I commend you for doing it out there while you're working hard to, to campaign. Yeah, well, you know, again, going to some of these uh, towns, too, when we were working on the 11th Congressional District, I was out in Woodstock and Canton a lot. And I got to tell you, Woodstock, I don't know, I mean, I felt like I was in Buckhead. I mean, they have some of these uh, just a walkable downtown, a lot of young folks. And and I'm thinking what's happened, uh, what explains it, is all the folks that, uh, you know, have moved out to the suburbs, they're now having children, but they still are wanting to have a social life. And so instead of them having to worry about driving all the way in to what used to be kind of the hot spots, even in Marietta, you had like the Cumberland Mall area. Instead of doing that, they're just building their own oasises. And uh, there's a, you know, we have entrepreneurs that are looking at it and saying, we got 90,000 people in Cherokee County. Um, I think we can have our own little uh, microcosm of a world, and, and our, we can create our own economy of scale, and, and they have done it. Right, right. And uh, I'm not uh, an expert on the ins and outs of uh, real estate, finance, and building, but it, it seems like uh, that's what's happening. People are kind of getting back to wanting to live in those kinds of places where you can you know, occasionally go for a walk and, you know, hit up a restaurant and walk home or maybe uh, have a park where you see mm-hmm. your neighbors, that sort of thing, instead of being quite as isolated as uh, some of the bigger uh, suburban communities. So I think that's a good thing. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, Atlanta is basically comprised of tons of little cities that have populated around it. Atlanta itself has a lot of Actually, what I, you know, from what I see, Old Fourth Ward's developing. I mean, you're getting pockets of development. We're seeing a lot of commerce going on, which when I talk to, you know, when we've got this big political season going on right now and we have a Senate race and we have a gov- the governor's races, uh, it, that's the most important one to me because, as you mentioned, it seems like the biggest uh, immediate impact, you say, from any politics is on the local level. Um, and so when when Georgia is doing things right and we have the six most jobs created net out of 50 states in the past four years, we're doing something right. And, and, and I just find it hard to argue, um, you know, another economic case right now. But it's always good to have facts when you, when you back up your emotion. And, right, right. you know, ironically, last night I had a robocall from well, – it wasn't a robocall. It was a, a campaign call from uh, Michelle Nunn's campaign. And they called – it said Fulton County something on it. So I was like, this is weird. Let me, let me call it back real quick. So I called it back. Hey, we're so-and-so with the Michelle Nunn campaign. Are you ready to, to kick David Perdue's ass and put send Michelle to D.C.? And I was like, "How'd y'all get this number?" Uh, <laughs> you, home I said, "You under it was uh, it was an office number, okay. so kind of a home phone." And uh, they, I was like, "As I'm just wondering, what kind of list did I show up on where where this is like one of y'all's calls?" And they said, "Well, you're uh, you must have filled out a survey or something like that." So I'm like, "That's the last time I fill out a stupid survey and put." That's why I put that office number down because I don't want my cell number being harassed. But I was like, "Okay." That ain't happened anymore. And then we had a nice long chat, and I wasted 20 minutes of his, of his time. And I said, well, actually, I'm running for state senate. Let me tell you about my platform. And so I got okay. to talk oh, about yeah. transportation freedom, school choice, economic development by uh, looking at, you know, all the tax credits we've given the film industry to do that with, uh, you know, the, the medical field and stuff like that. So anyway, we had a great chat. And he said, so you're going to be voting for Michelle? No, I said, look, man, we're going to be on the opposite side on that one. 
But I appreciate your time tonight, and we bid each other a fond farewell. <laughs> well, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's interesting that they got a hold of your number like that. I'm yeah, I, d- I, I mean, you know, I, I do fill out um, some of these, you know, surveys as far as, like, you know, there was one about keeping um, uh, somebody in jail for an extended period of time, and I signed on to that when it was somebody that had committed just a horrible crime, and they were going to be paroled. So, I, you know, a couple of these, I think it's called change.org, and I mean, it's, perhaps I need to start leaving fake numbers, because you, <laughs> might, you might get robo-dialed or even human-dialed by the, the Michelle Nunn campaign, which, interestingly enough, like I was mentioning, Obama is in town today, just, I'm sure, creating massive traffic jams, which uh, just happens to be when Governor deals a couple of events tonight. I don't know. Do you think he checks the itinerary in competitive states? Maybe so. Uh, but why don't we use helicopters? Do they not have, like, a presidential helicopter? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you know, do we really have to do this whole, like, motorcade thing? Does, does he do that for, for pomp and circumstance or <laughs> or to be a pain in the ass? I think he does that on purpose in, in red states. He's like, I'm going to be a pain in the ass when I come down there. Yeah, I mean, he could, uh, <laughs> if he's going to do that, he could borrow a Willie's vegetable uh, oil bus uh, <laughs> and really be a pain. Yeah, you know, know what we should do is let him. Uh, we should rent out the fur bus for him next time. Or, yeah, have him have him pull up to Emory with the disco ball going. Yeah. I think I think that would be pretty cool. But uh, anyway, I um, I saw Dallas Buyers Club the other night. Okay. You seen that movie yet? I have to say I have not seen the movie, although I am familiar with it. Tell me uh, just briefly. Yeah, it's a, Facebook. Yeah, oh, yeah, it was yeah. fascinating. It was um, Sunday night, and I had, you know, heard about it. Obviously, it won three Oscars, I believe, last year, and I'd heard about it. And I um, have HBO, so it came on Sunday night, and I. Um, Maybe it's even Monday night. Anyway, whenever I posted, I had just seen it. And um, I guess it was Sunday. I think it was the 7 o'clock showing on Sunday. So start watching it. And basically it's about um, a character who gets uh, diagnosed with AIDS back in the mid-'80s. And there aren't any treatments available. They give him AZ. Well, the only one is AZT, which they were. that was kind of the first treatment that they had come. It uh, doesn't cure AIDS, but it stopped uh, some of the it was a protease inhibitor if you will so it stopped some of the symptoms and it prolonged life but it, given the wrong way it could actually shorten life and so the F, it was the only drug that was approved by the FDA this guy went overseas he's a pretty uh, wealthy guy and was had some financial resources and was able to go uh, and find some other you know treatments that some of these other countries had come up with comes back finds that the FDA doesn't like him doing that. And it um, just shows very draconian, big government um, control over the Drug Administration. And back in the mid-'80s, AIDS was a death sentence. Nowadays, we have drug cocktails, some of which include AZT as one of the, the drugs of it. But, I mean, really, you could look, Magic Johnson was diagnosed with AIDS in 1991, and he's, what, 23 years later, still working and and just still 100% healthy. So... We've made a lot of progress with the disease. Um, Matthew McConaughey played the lead character of a guy I named he Rob. Won an Oscar for yeah, that. he did. Okay, and with a guy named uh, the Rob. It was interesting. The, the guy's name is very cr- close to Wooderson, which was his character's name in Dazed and Confused. So I, um, I was like, okay, really? But um, it, 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 what I didn't know was that his character in the movie was he's actually straight. 
Okay. And so what he does is he sets up, he goes and finds some of these treatments of these I drugs that, that he's getting. I, I think at the time he was, you know, really paranoid that he was going to be perceived to be, you know, homosexual or whatever. Yeah. He was really paranoid about that. I heard some people talking about that, right? Yeah, and so that was I didn't I just didn't know much about it. I knew it was about AIDS in the mid eighties and it just I was thinking it was gonna be one of these really depressing ones like the Tom remember Tom Hanks in Philadelphia? Right. I mean right. just the the movie was not nearly that uh depressing of a sentiment. It was certainly well done. It was more of like a I would compare it more to like a boogie nights type feel. Okay. okay. Where kind of a documentary type right, right. uh shows kind of the harsh harshness of the lifestyle uh, right. um uh, it just you know very there, there literally was no dramatic music during it just a lot dialogue heavy right. um yeah. and um yeah just really good uh really good movie and um almost some dark comedy elements a little bit a little bit yeah yeah because he he's pretty he's a pretty funny character i mean he's like a cowboy drinking smoking womanizing uh character in it so very very good movie and as i posted it just um it really illustrates uh kind of the, the you know the what limited government should be because when we talk about limited government scott when we talk about it to the average person that maybe doesn't maybe they're worried about their, their their kids soccer game on Saturday and not who's up in the polls right now right. when I say limited government to them they're thinking I'm going to stop the post office they're thinking I'm going to end the Department of Education that's what it means to them right. so as it, it Republicans and conservatives and people that believe in limited government we have to look at tangible examples of how that works let me give you let me give you an example that I read about the other day and uh, this was probably clickbait, but it worked just fine with me. I clicked on it because it says uh, clickbait. <laughs> it says uh, we know when you see something online that really urges you to click. Yeah. On it, you know, you just, by the way, the title of the article is written. Uh, like Kate Upton is what I would call right, clickbait. Right. That's a whole different subject. <laughs> but uh, but uh, this article said a preacher arrested for feeding homeless. And it was in. Uh, I was reading something about my Auburn Tigers, uh, number five ranked football team, and it, so I was on an Alabama. Boy, that website. sure must be exciting. A L dot com. Yeah, A L dot com. Yep, okay. So I was reading a little bit about that, and I happened to see an article that said it said Birmingham pastor arrested for handing out food to homeless, and um, well, I take it back. It may have said cited or uh, you know. Ticketed, uh, ticketed, whatever. Cited, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, he would. They right. apparently he was punished and given a fine. Okay. For handing out hot dogs, he he, he drives from Oneonta, Alabama, which is where my aunt lives, to Birmingham, <laughs> which is about a thirty-mile drive. Okay. And uh, basically drives around in his van that he painted up with several Bible verses on it. And uh, the evil man that he is drives around <laughs> handing out hot dogs that he bought with his own money to homeless people, <laughs> and because he didn't have a permit to do this. Oh God! And this is this is something straight yeah. out of a uh, of an Ayn Rand novel. Or yeah, something. yeah. I mean, it's, it's like a it's like a Kafka novel, man. I mean, rats at every corner, yeah. ready to. 
Uh, ready to punish any good deeds or any, any uh, progress yeah. in civilization. Yeah. Charity is great as long as it's government approved. Right. And, and so in, in Dallas Buyers Club, he's not giving away hot dogs, but he is giving away these medicines that work. And the vast majority of his clients are, are gay men, and, and they're coming from all over the country, but a lot of them in, in the Texas area. And um, he doesn't charge for the medicines, but he charges $400 a month to join the Dallas Buyers Club. Oh, okay. So that's, that's where, where the, 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 the name comes from. And basically, as you can imagine, to giving drugs that are unapproved by the FDA and charging money and he's operating out of a hotel, somebody's not going to like that. <laughs> and it turns out it's like the, the police are against them, the FDA's against them, the federal government, the FBI's against them, and it just... You know, I, I again, I don't know how true it is. I did some uh, vetting of it. It seems like it was pretty true. And he, well, I think, I, I'm sorry, to no, go ahead. Interrupt you, but I just had a thought. I think the perception in the public is that the Republican Party is, uh, you know, in bed with the big corporations. And I think, in reality, there's some of that that probably goes on with both parties. But I think it goes on to much greater extent with the Democratic Party. Because if you look at you know what was done with healthcare, and if you look at the big pharmaceutical companies, um, you know we want smaller government. True conservatives mm-hmm. want a smaller, more efficient, more effective government. And um, in a case like that, there's a lot of special interest groups that that are you know intertwined with the status quo. So anytime anything new comes out, it's it's very threatening. So I haven't seen the film, but mm-hmm. you know, hopefully you see what I'm getting at. Yeah. That. Oh, of course. Um, and that's I think that's one reason uh, candidates like uh, Rand Paul are very intimidating. Uh, Steve Forbes, even I heard an interview with him. I don't think he's running for president again. But <laughs> these guys that talk about truly a smaller government, I think that's that's intimidating yep. to big government Republicans or big government Democrats. Yeah. Either one. Well, the problem is, is um, I, I just when I when I look at the modern day liberal, not classic liberalism, because that's actually limited government. They just change the names. They're liberals. They're communists. They're progressives. Whatever they change their name to, I, I cannot agree with with a, a group think that that puts government as the you know the the umpire and everything that says government is the best way not an individual's right to personal liberty that and and they just they 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 have a gross mistrust of of humans making the right decisions for themselves the rational decisions and they 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 love government being the overseer they they really worship big government versus conservatives tend to say our rights come from from God or their natural rights if you if you're an atheist that government does not grant rights and that the left side of the spectrum just puts their 100% of their creed and faith in government not the individual and i, I just I, I i am 100% at odds with that philosophy yeah me too 110% i'm 120 you know, I do think so how much do you bench? <laughs> so you know, to be fair, I think that some how much you squat. Some of those on the left are just misguided. Their heart is in the right place, uh-huh. or at least you know they mean well. But yeah. I think some probably don't mean well. But regardless, it reminds me of a saying that uh, Yogi Berra said. He said, uh, 
in theory it works just like it does in practice, but in practice it doesn't. So, I mean, that's kind of what we're getting at here. I mean, they've got all these grand utopian schemes, but uh, we'll see how well that's worked out in, in yeah. centralized states, China, Soviet Union. Albania, uh, North Korea, I mean, every example. There is not been one example of communism or even socialism that's worked. I mean, there, there, there really isn't one. You can look at the social, some of the social democracies in Europe and say, hey, they're working great. They get free health care. Well, they're, they're taxed at 75%. They have unemployment rates of nearing 20 to 30% for people under 25 years old. So how exactly is that working? It's a Ponzi scheme at best and uh, uh, um, a controlling government instrument at, at worst. And I, I think the people in Europe, their hearts, that could be an example where you're right, their hearts are in the right places, but they are just not looking at the years and years of evidence that we have that that political and economic philosophy does not work. Right. No, it's. I was in. The, I had the chance to go to Europe last year and to take kind of a um, sabbatical and travel around, really dig into history. It was a lot of fun. I spent four months in Europe, and uh, it's. I mean, Greece is an inspiring place to visit, but it's also very troubling. I mean, it's. It's a place of millions, and I, I literally mean that, millions of listless and depressed youth, I mean, with nothing to do. Right. And you see it everywhere, and it's really sad. I mean, Paris is especially bad, Italy, uh, Spain. My God, Spain, I um, I met a, a guy that moved here. He got his uh, H-1B visa from Spain, and he said, yeah, there is nothing in Spain. I said, you guys don't have you know farms or, or marble quarries or anything no and i i don't i think he was being a little hyperbolic by saying that but they they literally feel like they have no economic opportunity over there and that's why some of the ones that want to come here and do it the right way and the legal way and the ones that really do want to work i i'm a hundred percent supportive of legal immigration especially folks like this that are educated right yeah <laughs> so well, it's, they're just—they're too regulated, and uh, there are too many taxes, and too many bureaucrats, and too many restrictions. Yeah, it's going to take a long right. time to sort it out. And to me, when we talk about overregulation as limited government folks, we have to give these specific examples. Which I know, I folks, I know you're probably tired of me talking about the taxicab lawsuit and the, and the House Bill 907, but that again is a specific example. The Dallas Buyers Club movie is a specific example of the FDA protecting special interests, uh, big government cronies using the tax code and the regulation code to stymie competition and do it the way they think it's right instead of the way the free market thinks is right and knows that it is right. That, to me, is how we win the argument by using specific, tangible examples and not talking in vacuous platitudes. We appreciate you guys listening today. Thank you, Scott, for Thanks, coming Greg. in and Good joining me. I uh, really enjoyed the, the chat with you again, and uh, we were probably a little more uh, sober this chat time but uh, than uh, at the Fox a, a few Fridays ago, but uh, we'll have to do that again. I don't know if we can get Trey to get married again. We'll have to have another common friend. <laughs> but anyway, we'll see you next week on Greg's List. Thanks, as always, for listening.